0: Welcome to Imagining France, a series of podcasts bringing you into the world of the National Gallery's summer exhibition, Roderick O'Connor and the Moderns between Paris and Pont Aven.
1: Is David Redmond. I'm a double bass player, primarily jazz music. Um, so yeah, I'm rooted in the jazz tradition really, but I, I mean, I play with lots and lots of various different people and artists. So uh, that's me.
2: I'm Martin Turish and I play the accordion and compose music. Uh, and I suppose traditional Irish music is what I'm Better known for or doing the most these days, but out of a background with classical accordion and playing gypsy music, swing music, um, practically anything I can do or try.
3: Uh, I'm Stephen Daly. Uh, I play guitar and I play a bit of violin as well. Uh, Mostly at the moment, I'm playing a lot of kind of gypsy jazz and swing stuff, which is fairly similar to this kind of thing. Um, With the Targa Hot Club, and um, yeah, that's pretty much. I'm at these days,
0: yeah. Great. Uh, so yeah, back to that other question What was your experience of Balmizet before this project? Were you w- well versed in it or never heard of it before or somewhere in between?
2: Well, I haven't, I didn't know a hell of a lot about it. Um, some Irish musicians had recorded a little bit of Balmizet, so you have people like Martin O'Connor, um, who recorded uh, the mysterious waltz on one of his albums, Perpetual Motion, I think that album and Sharon Shannon recorded Le Retour de Huron Day, The Return of the Swallows on um, her first album. Uh, so those two tunes I would have known. Um, but as for the rest of Balmusette now I I didn't really come across it. And as as I was about to find out, it's actually <laughs> quite hard <laughs> to find really good Balmusette out there. But that's that's a story for later. Yeah.
3: I was kind of a little bit familiar with some of the tunes because, they're fair as I said, they're, they'd be fairly similar to a lot of the kind of gypsy jazz stuff that I'm, you know, normally used to playing. But I'd never kind of tackled any of them properly. I just kind of, I'd, I'd have known that a lot of, the, not a lot of them, but some of the ones that we picked to do, I would have heard before at some stage. But then, though, when, you know, when I really started looking into actual band music, I realised that there was a whole world there of the stuff that I hadn't got a clue about, you know, and particularly like some of the more regional stuff like the Breton um, styles and stuff like that that uh, obviously had an influence in the whole genre in, in Paris at the time of the start of the century, you know, so yeah, I had a toe in the water but I didn't really know too much about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I... um. No, I wouldn't have known a whole lot about, about it before this project but I have heard the music before and Liked it and enjoyed it, but just not known what it was. I I remember uh, maybe f- 15 years ago, I saw the French accordion player Richard Galliano play at the Dublin Jazz Festival. And he would have played music very similar to what we were playing. And it was the same instrumentation, which is double bass, accordion and guitar. And um, yeah, very similar music. And I remember I really enjoyed that gig, but I... I suppose I, it's only now I'm putting the, the two together and realizing that he's heavily influenced by this style of, of music. <laughs>
2: The musette itself comes from um, a particular type of music found in folk music found in the Auvergne region, so that's down centre-south of, uh, of France. And um, it comes from the musette would be a type of um, type of bagpipe, um, a bellows-blown bagpipe. So uh, sort of similar enough now to the Irish Elan pipes. Uh, the, the, each country had, or a lot of countries in Europe had their own version of this. Uh, so in the Auvergne region, um, they would have been called the cabaret, uh Was one type of it, and uh, the and the cornemuse was was the other type of of these musettes. Uh So you could uh, you can look this up um, on YouTube and find videos of people still playing these instruments. They look a little similar to the elan pipes and sound a little similar as well. Different instrument, mind you. Um, and then if, then the people of the Auvergne settled in Paris around that time of the nineteen hundreds. And uh, so the first ball musettes uh, featured these pipes, um, and the accordion, when it came in around the nineteen hundreds as well, was sort of seen as a, a as a threat to it that the accordion was a unwieldy, unmusical musical instrument, uh, <laughs> which is still held to be the case sometimes. But um, <laughs> the the trend was broken by um, by uh, Bus Buscatel, who was the king of cabaret players uh, when he hired uh, the accordionist Charles Paguri. Uh, in 1905 as part of his band, so that was the first time that the accordion was seen as being okay um, or acceptable yeah. um, in in the Musette scene and then of course it quickly took over and became the main instrument really that we think of when it comes to Musette. and uh, Music at the time, the, the earlier music was fairly simple, it was chansons and music that was based on the folk melodies of the Avernian region uh, but of course, then uh, it it you ended up with these incredibly um, virtuoso players like Tony Moreno, Joe Priva, and uh, Gus Vizer. So we've been really working on their music. Uh, it's incredibly virtuosic, tricky stuff, and they would have played in in these clubs and the 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 music clubs. Now they would have been a. Uh, uh, sort of rowdy places, let's just say, um, so frequented, as one writer says, by uh, scrap dealers and sailors and all sorts, and the, the stage was actually set almost above head height to keep the musicians safe. They were, you know, this is an environment of absence and what have you, um, so the music uh, really reflects that. Uh, so you had this sort of this golden age, maybe around the 30s, 40s, would you say?
3: Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, well, that would have been the, the peak of, yeah, particularly when those guys yeah. were really taking off, you know. And it was a combination of the of
2: the, the minutiae or tsigan, which is the gypsy style, and um, you know, Stephen comes from... That that's type of background.
3: Yeah, well, I'd be I'd be fairly interested in the string players. Obviously, like Django Reinhardt, to be the name everyone would know. But there was you know people playing this kind of stuff before that. And actually, funnily enough, the six-string banjo was one of the main instruments that a lot of the guys would have backed up mm-hmm. purely again for volume, which is also another reason why they kind of raised the stage as well as to keep the you know everyone safe and get them home safe or whatever. It was also to kind of have a bit of volume because it was in the, the days before no amplification, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean the first instrument Django, for instance, played was a six-string banjo, and um, then he moved to guitar and developed a really aggressive right-hand technique, purely for volume, which still carries true to today. You know, it's like still a lot of people are playing that style. And um, yes, yeah, so I, I would I know a lot more about the string end of it, you know, mm. um, but yeah, the the accordions where it really takes off though that kind of style. Of you know? course, the you know I mean?
2: the musette as a as a pipe. And the accordion are naturally loud instruments as well. So, you know, you're, you're thinking in the context of a, maybe a rowdy bar and uh, environment with uh, people <laughs> drinking absinthe and all sorts of things. And uh, so you needed loud instruments. Um, so you could imagine this might be the same as going to, I don't know, say a rock concert. You know, of course, they turn the volume up to 11, as they say. <laughs> this is the equivalent. You're getting as loud a, of an instrumentation as you possibly can it, without um, amplification. Uh, so it's, that gives you an, an idea of the of the sound, um, mm. and then of course as the music became more and more and more sophisticated and virtuosic and more, it's, it's hard to find a word, but more virtuosic, let's just say, um, then the the upper classes wanted to participate, and so they had, uh, so they, had, they they put on events for those uh, without some of the rowdier members, um, and they had people act, and would they would have people come in and randomly shoot blanks. all of this type of thing so you could just imagine Um, it was quite the scene So this would be the the musette that we're concentrating on is sort of from a little later, sort of maybe the twenties, thirties, forties, simply because it's at such an evolved point uh, at that that was the heyday, the the, the sort of uh the, the, the apotheosis of the uh, of, of its development. Really, um, it, it went into a sort of a schmaltzy thing when they tried to, <laughs> to, to compete with uh, rock and roll music synthesizers and uh, sounds that didn't age very well. But this period of the 20s, 30s, 40s is is the type of music that we're focused on. But at the say the 1890s and 1900s would be more maybe chansons. So pieces like uh, Bonsoir Mamour. So they're simpler, um, very beautiful. Lovely tunes. Yeah, yeah. um, and then uh, Roderick O'Connor spent a lot of his later years in uh, in uh, Pontevain, didn't he? Pontevain. And uh, so that's a completely different style of music altogether. Completely different world. You're into the Celtic world then.
4: Okay.
3: But all that stuff kind of blended, you know, uh, kind of got churned into, you know, a particular sound to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of Italian influence as well. Like there was a yeah. fair few Italian. I think Tony Moreno, was, it, was he Italian? Yeah, he
2: was Italian. And, and so they brought a, you know, the classical music style and the virtuosity uh their instrument in, making in, 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 in skills in big, as well amazing the, accordion mm-hmm. makers so the accordions are all made in these two well predominantly today castle del fudardo and Stradella. these two little villages are completely devoted to it so yeah the the italians would still be renowned even though the accordion comes from germany but the, the 1820s or thereabouts invented in berlin um so you've got the germans We'd have a claim to the instrument making as well. Better not forget that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you, you've got this convergence of many, many different cultures. Mm. But when when, when Roderick, Roderick O'Connor went to Brittany now, he would have experienced a very different world altogether. I was just reading in the nineteen fifties, the number of people who could speak Breton fluently was uh, a million people, and today it's two hundred thousand. Now they are reviving it, but. Uh, you know, So he would have entered a very different world. It's a Celtic type of world. The landscape around that part just it looks like Ireland, around Finisterre. Um, and uh, the Celtic culture, I've played there lots and lots with um, a, a band I play with called Alton. And uh, we would come across the Breton musicians and collaborate with them. And the instruments are radically different. So you've got these combinations of uh, the bombard, which is a very harsh oboe, ish, reedy sounding instrument, very, very loud, it's all about the volume, and you have the Binu, which is a high-pitched uh, type of bagpipe, and you have these wonderful dances called Fest Nose, um, which uh, last all night, and uh, they've got an amazing, the music is trance type music, so the melodies are very short and, um, in a way, simple, but the effect of it is to put you into a trance. They, it, it's, it just you, you could, And you're doing these simple enough dances in circles with loads of people. And uh, it's an amazing experience. It's suddenly, three hours have passed. Um, so it's a completely, completely different world, as opposed to the musettes, which are, which are short pieces, mm. very flashy, uh, moody type of pieces. You've got such emotion in them. Um, whereas the Breton music now, it's very earthy and uh, very hypnotic. Uh, completely different. Different thing, and the Ponte Pontevan would have been a hive of uh, musical activity. with Scallier brothers at the time, so we've managed to track down some archival recordings of those boys playing pipes, and Eve uh, Richard um, just around the corner as well, uh, up up in another village, but a ten-minute drive away, um, playing accordion. But all of this hypnotic trance music, so it was a world apart, really. Breton Front, um, we should say that there's a huge revival of uh, of Breton culture, uh, the language. There's uh, Bray's radio radio station, which is a Breton language, a bit like our Radio Nogeltacht. And uh, there's a huge revival of the music as well. Um, and I'm lucky to have a couple of friends out there, uh, Ronan, Pellin and Bray. Uh, Brewin also who have been helping me with the research for this. So they were able to find examples of music from Pont. In, in, in that particular period and time, so the Scalier brothers uh, were these two amazing pipers, and they pointed me to the script website musicbrez.wordpress.com, which has loads of archival recordings that you can hear. So um, maybe so one of the pieces um, is Le, Le Gavotte de Pontevin, and uh, it's uh, one of the tunes from that particular locality uh, played by these two brothers, and no doubt that it would have been passed down through the generations and uh, these were, um, I think, father and son, um, and they were incredible players anyhow, um, but we could maybe play you a bit of that, and just so you can hear the sound world, that this is music that Roderick O'Connor would have heard, and the artists around there, and uh, of course it's a completely different set of performance practice standards than what we have today, so the tuning is completely out there, but that's the way it's, Should have been (laughs) at that time. It will maybe give you a bit um, and then show you the tunes that we managed to get out of it.
4: And so got the
1: dial-up
0: th- modem was invented. <laughs> yeah, exactly,
1: yeah. It's got Sunday morning
0: listening. <laughs> yeah. so, so that higher <laughs> instrument is the the
2: bignou, or the, the bombard, and, and then are the higher one's the bignou and the lower one's the bombard. Dave I was think. trying to
3: listen to someone that going to sleep. Yeah. Actually.
2: So we had quite a challenge trying to get tunes out of that. Uh, it's hard to work out. It's not that different to the early recordings of Irish music. Mickey Coombo was a little bit on the pipes from the 1890s. Um, you know like that's the quality this is a cylinder recording and uh, it's, it's very hard to make out the tune so you really need to try hard but thankfully I managed to find uh, people pipers on YouTube who had done this work already and uh, so I was able to find um, this tune and we were able to record it um, so you hear some of the melodies that are buried deep within all of that uh, in what we're doing as yeah. is the nature of folk music. Uh,
0: music over the last or concentrating on this music over the last couple of days, is there anything you've discovered in it or about it or
3: it's all in tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's all yeah. a tree. No well it's it's a waltz style, you know there's a lot of kind of tree yeah, forms. Yeah a lot of it's waltz. Yeah. Mm.
1: I suppose the the main difficulties we might have had was because some of the recordings are so so um old that you you can find it hard to um, work out what's actually happening with the chords, the chord movement, because it's quite murky and muddy and it's like old kind of like an LP crackling, this kind of, uh, so we had a bit of uh, struggles just working out chord progressions and stuff like that. But, um,
0: so yeah. this music, there's not a lot of actually. It's not written down that much. You're listening to recordings
3: rather than reading. Oh no! Well, yeah, is that I mean, right or no? Well, it's, it's not not really. No, really, like some of the older ones now would be. You, there's only a couple of recordings, but and as Dave was saying, they're really hard to kind of pick out exactly what you know to do it right. Like, um, but some of the other stuff that we've done, there would be you know there'd be it'd be written down. All right, yeah. Now at this stage. But then yeah. what for the musette
2: melodies, at, at least I've managed to find a couple of transcriptions online of particular recordings of these particularly great, because, you know, you've got, say, tunes, you've got the, the same performer might play the same tune, but it's going to be completely different <laughs> each time. So it was a case of picking, a very, and then another performer would play it, and it might sound so, so simple, Passion by Tony Morena. I found a, with Tony Morena playing it now, it's, <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> it's like the Flight of the Bumblebee on acid. It's uh, incredibly fast and complex, but then of course you go on YouTube and you find people playing it and it's so, so simple to take all the fast notes out. Um, so to try and get at the detail of those notes now, I what i done, where there wasn't transcriptions, um, I, I got this piece of software called the Amazing Slower Downer. And mm-hmm. so you can slow it right, right down um, to fraction of the speed. And even at that, they're flying over the notes. It was really a case of picking each note out at a time and uh, then piecing it all together. Uh, When you hear it now, it's just, it's phenomenally fast and technical. So it pushed me to my boundaries, (laughs) (laughs) boundaries of my fingers. You know, it's such mood music. Uh, it sets such a mood, and you can see when you play it live. You can see it impact in the audience. You can see that the whole character of it just bringing the room alive. And so, as an artist, like that, always gives you energy back, no matter what type of music you're playing. You, you set the vibe when you're playing music, and it's usually amplified back.
3: Mm. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. No, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that you have to play together more as well yeah. as a you know, mm. I mean. We can all sit at home and kind of look through bits, but it's really playing it together. So as much as we can do that, is it it adds to it all the time as well, you know. So it's like a it's like a stew, well cooked. Just keep adding to it. Yeah.
0: Is there any uh, of the pieces that you're like I could just keep playing this forever?
2: Your fingers would probably fall off.
0: <laughs> forever in the moment or like I would be happy to be p- still playing this 20 years from now like this
1: god all of them,
4: them for me
0: yeah,
1: not great. We're, yeah we're we're hoping to hopefully continue uh playing this music because we I suppose we put so much effort into this and um we're all enjoying the project so much that we're hopefully gonna at some point do more concerts and yeah see what happens you know but yeah, we're really we're, we're really enjoying the music,
2: yeah. But like one of the amazing things is that these artists, the the New artist artists, Morena and Gus Freezer and Joe Priva, there's not like if you look online, there's not a whole lot of information. The mm, Wikipedia articles are on, tiny. Yeah. It's almost impossible to find out anything of these yet. As an accordion player, this was the pinnacle of accordion music, of accordion virtuosity, in my opinion. <laughs> it all went downhill from there. Mm. Um, you know, this period in the 30s and the 40s, the virtuosity is just unmatched. It's, it's incredible stuff, and it's just not known. It's fallen out of, it, of, of it, it's gone into obscurity, really, and it's amazing to get the opportunity to try and bring it back to life um, because it just so deserves it.
3: But they also, those fellas as well. They also had a real clean tone on the accordion, like you yeah. know, musette is that kind of musette. It's known for that kind of wet, kind of out of tune accordion sound, which kind of came, I think, a lot later with the. Yeah. But these guys had a, you know, a really. They went for. They had a really clean tone, which is another, you know, great thing about it when you when you delve into it, because it kind of gets away from all the Eiffel Tower stuff, you know. And the, yeah.
2: It's uh, because like this music was the music of the day. It was the music of Paris, and it brought in the tango, and it made the tango fashionable because the tango was totally unfashionable in Argentina at the time. It was seen as a low life type of activity, a bit like musette was as well, um, in the earlier days. But uh, you know, because when the Beatles came along and pop music came along, then all this musette, this was all cast into obscurity at that point. And and what they were trying to do to survive and to keep the gigs going was they were trying they were adding in bits of sort of like sound effects, and you have that wet sound of yeah, the that, accordion. Yeah. And so when a lot of people think of Musette, or indeed if they think about accordion, amazingly what they think of is this really wet, uh, cheesy type of sound. If you say accordion, it's really like mm. a, a bad word. <laughs> you <know>? And it's <laughs> some of it is because of the stereotype of this type of music that came later. But if you peel away those layers and, uh, and, and look at this particular period in Paris, it was just hopping. And it would be great to bring that back to people.
0: Great. Um, Could you just explain what that means, the
3: wet? It's like that, it's an accordion sound that almost sounds like it's out of tune. It it depends on, you know, the the people's tastes or whatever. But for me personally, I find it kind of really hard to listen to. It's like a really crass, I can't do it because I've only got one voice. (laughs) But it's like two people out of tune singing at the same time. So it's basically the
2: accordion is a glorified harmonica, perhaps without the glory. So if you, you take it apart inside, uh, there's, in my one, there's three big harmonicas on the right-hand side and there's two um, in, in the left-hand side. So if you take them out, they look and function exactly like harmonicas. So what it is, when I play one note, uh, say A, uh, there's two reeds sounding uh, paired. And so without wet sound, so with my accordion, uh, both of those are tuned very, very closely together. Uh, they're tuned the same, so that's dry. And for the wet sound, um then uh they're tuned far they're basically tuned put out of tune with yeah, each so other. It sounds, yeah, uh mm-hmm. you could go into technical detail of how many cents and all, but they're they're ba- it's basically Yeah, it's it is out of tune.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, it's yeah. a style now as well, uh, in its own right. And you would have heard it a lot in the old Cayley band recordings and Irish music. When you think of that accordion sound. As Scottish music it's it's they wouldn't like to think of it as out of tune now. It's a uh, very very fashionable there still and even in ireland um but it is technically speaking it's yeah, it's yeah. it's gonna attitude in a controlled way
3: mm.
2: i suppose so.
0: Been listening to Imagining France, Roderick O'Connor and the Moderns between Paris and Pont-Aven, with audio engineering by Mark Canton and produced by Brina Casey.